Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Set, and today's guest is Tanya Taylor. Tanya is the founder of Growing Professionals and Small Business Owners How to Build a Six to Seven Figure Retirement by Learning How Money Works. She's a CPA and holds an MBA in Strategic Management. Tanya has spent her entire career on Wall Street working for or overseeing some of the largest banks and insurance companies worldwide. She has also spent the past 20 plus years teaching financial literacy. As an undocumented immigrant arriving in America alone at the age of 16 and seeing many people living paycheck to paycheck, she was committed to changing her life. Despite many obstacles, by age 25, she graduated college debt-free, bought a house, and was part owner in a small business. She later co-founded and ran a successful investment club and a children's financial education club and started a tax practice with her husband. I'm exhausted just reading this. She also has been to 50 plus countries in 30 states. Tanya, welcome to the next chapter experience. Looking forward to our conversation. Let's dig in. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. There's so much that you've done. So much. I don't even know where to start. But I have to tell you, though, this weekend I was at a community event and they had a lot of different booths and vendors and one vendor was offering children's literacy books. And I thought about you. Anticipation <laughs> of today's conversation, I thought about you. So let's start wherever you want to tell us a little bit more about your background and the path that you've had or journey you've had up to this point. Sure. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here and to talk about my journey. We can start with just coming here and even why I decided to start teaching children about personal finance and adults as well. We were living in poverty in Jamaica. I graduated high school and my parents just weren't able to afford to send me off to a higher education. And so the opportunity came up for me to come to America. And so I came here by myself at 16. Thinking back now and having a 17-year-old daughter, I asked myself like, wow, how did I do this? But once I came, I really embraced the opportunity to create a better life for myself and my family. And for me, I saw two things as a ticket to that. And one was education. So going on to getting advanced education and two, financial literacy. Now where you could go to YouTube, it just wasn't there. And so I really had to seek it out and really try to understand what do I need to do. But one thing that I did that was critical, I think from the time I was 16, was creating a budget. I didn't make much. I made $75 a week, but because I didn't make much and I had all these different things, including saving towards college, I needed to know where literally every penny went. And so I started with budgeting later. By the time I was 21 and had a job, I learned about, oh, you could put money in a 401k plan. So then once I started doing that, I tried to learn, okay, how do I do that to maximize what I need to save for the future? Because I know I didn't want to work forever. And, And then as I learned and I looked around me, everybody was also living paycheck to paycheck, know nothing about finances. And so I made it my mission to start teaching people as well. And one of the things that I felt in the Black community that was severely lacking was that we don't have the knowledge and then our children coming up don't have the knowledge. So even if we were to save and we were to build wealth and we were to pass it on to our children, they will probably end up blowing it. 
moment. And so between me and about personal finance, I started teaching people. But I also created the investment club because I had colleagues who didn't know as well. And so it was just like, hey, let's create an investment club and start investing in the stock market and learn together. And then subsequent to that, as we started having children, I said, I don't want our children to be financially illiterate. So then I created a children's financial education club. And that actually doubled as a children's club, but also as the adult, because when the parents came, I was also able to teach them about personal finance as well. And so personal finance has really been a passion for me outside of my career to really help people to realize that it doesn't matter where they are financially, that they can build wealth. It doesn't matter if they're making $75 a week or $200,000 a year, they can use different tools to build wealth. You talk about understanding cash flow management and understanding budgeting. And I've spoken to some millennials who are mystified by actually creating a budget and don't know how to go about doing that. So the question I have for you is what kind of roadblocks or mind blocks have you had to work around or through as you're working with individuals in that space of really getting or creating a better relationship with money through understanding how it works? Yeah, that's a really great question because what I have found most interesting, which was even a little bit surprising to me is is that when I bring people in my program and we actually start off with a mindset course because I really want them to shift the way they think and to think beyond their regular paycheck, whatever it is, and to think how they could grow their wealth. So we start with the mindset course and they says short-term, medium-term and long-term goal. But one of the key things after that is let's create a budget. And it's really surprising to me. It's not surprising that a lot of people don't have budget. Like that doesn't surprise me, but it's surprising to me that a lot of people hesitate to create a budget. Most of my clients, the biggest roadblock that they have is creating that budget because most times once they get beyond creating the budget, they're okay with learning to invest and they're okay with figuring out how to pay their debt down. But I think the issue with the budget is that a lot of times when you are creating a budget, you have to face how much debt you have. You have to think about about your credit, because when you face how much debt you have, you're going to realize how you need to structure your payment within your budget. And I think it just opens up a lot for people to think about when they're creating a budget. And so I hadn't thought about it that way. And it partially might be because I've always had a budget. And so for me, it's just a normal thing to do. But when someone comes in and says, I don't have a budget and we'll go through this whole conversation and why they need the budget and they fully understand. And weeks will go by and they're like, I still haven't created my budget. I'm really trying to get everything together. And so just helping them to pass that phase of sitting down and coming to terms with where you are and what you're spending and then seeing how your spending is lining up with your goal is one of those things that we push a lot on in my program. But I really feel that once they've gotten to that point where they have created that budget and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm spending $8,000 on Uber Eats. I've got to cut that out. $8,000 a year. I actually had a client who told me that. So they come to that reality and then they can move forward to say, okay, instead of spending $8,000 on Uber Eats, I could probably spend four. Let's start there and then take the rest and maybe invest it or maybe pay my debt down. Interesting. That kind of mirrors the experience. Experience I had when I was in financial planning, I had a client who set 
would set an appointment with me knowing that we were going to take a look at her budgeting and also her debt load. And she had quite a bit of debt I found out after having a very emotional conversation yeah. with her. And she finally came clean and she said, Jeanette, I owe so much money, so many creditors. And she was making a lot of money. Yeah. She was well into the six figures, but she was also spending. She had a large amount of debt that she simply did not want to face. So yeah. every set an appointment, she would actually cancel it because she did not want to have that conversation. So I had to have the conversation and ask her, I said, we've set several appointments mm -hmm. and you've canceled and rescheduled those appointments. What's going on? And she basically very emotionally told me, she said, Jeanette, I make a very good salary, but I'm in so much debt that I don't even want to face it. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of emotional shame when it comes to finances and even the idea of creating a budget for exactly what you said, because you have to face your debt. And a lot of people don't, they don't even open the mail because they're so afraid of facing it. That and then the spending, you mentioned Uber Eats. I have a very close friend who does not drive. He lives in New York City. And he said, Jeanette, I looked at my Uber transportation bill. I need to change friends or start riding public transit. Yeah. So I can definitely relate to that. I can definitely relate to that. So let's switch gears for a second. I'm really interested in what you've done with your two daughters in terms of their development and understanding about money, the history of money or how money works and things of that nature. Share a little bit about how they go about their daily knowing that they've got this great foundation. Does it actually show or do they demonstrate it? What kind of conversations do you have with them around that? So it's very interesting because since my children were very young, probably three or four, we'd go to the supermarket and they would say to me, mommy, how much is our budget? And people would look at us very strange because there's a four-year-old asking me, how much is my budget? And certain things have been built into their life that they don't even realize. My husband has a tax practice. And of course I do the personal finance and I'm an accountant. So we have all these talks and they're natural and organic in our family. And so I think that they don't even realize the type of knowledge that they, they are able to just go about. A couple of things that I did with them though, that I wanted to make sure I laid the foundation so that when they get older, when they go to college, they're not spending doing crazy stuff. So we talked about budget and they always had to create a budget when they were younger and their budget would merge into mine. They would actually create an annual budget so they know how much they're going to be spending on an annual basis. Obviously, I would help them with it to figure it out. And they would be required to spend within that budget. They also, whatever money they get, they also had some charity and some savings. Like those are three core mandatory things that they had to learn and understand. But what I did as they started getting older and they started spending, they got both a credit card and also a green light card. And what the green light card is, I used it because it would categorize how they could spend. So my younger daughter, she loves luxury and she loves Starbucks. And so they would get their allowance and they would be responsible for allocating a certain amount of Starbucks, certain amount of different stores, and would automatically be allocated to savings and charity as well. So they have always functioned in this like almost compartmentalized spending where certain monies they know that they can't touch. And they know that if they need money for this, then they maybe have to reallocate funds. And so for them, if someone were to ask them, they probably wouldn't think about it that way, but it's like a natural part. It's almost natural what they do. So we just got back from the supermarket and I usually send them to pick up what they need. And they came to me and first thing they asked was, what's the budget? And then when they went to pick the items up, 
so my daughter went to get eggs and it was like, was that the best price? And even before I asked her, she was like, yes, mommy. It's because she knows the type of eggs I want. So yes. And that was the best price they had in that kind of category. So they look at that. If we go shopping, they're going to be looking at what's on sale that's within the category that they want. So everything that we do and everything that they do, like they have to look within the category that they want for the best prices. Because it's not just we're going to buy something cheap and that's it. Like I also don't teach them that way. If I want this, where can I find the best quality at the best price? And this permeates through their life for pretty much anything that we're doing. Before when we're going on vacation, they would have a certain amount that is given to them for vacation and would plan vacation accordingly. So we talk about having our budget vacation or when we have luxury vacation and what that looks like. And they know how much they have to spend and how much we're going to be spending. And I also talk to them about money. Financially, we can't do this, but financially we can do this. We have all of those conversations Mm -hmm. as well. You talked about three things or three principles that you have taught your girls to at least be conscious of when they receive money, like gifts of money. So they spend it how they want to. But I talk to them a lot about just because you have this money doesn't mean you go and spend it wildly. You still need to think consciously about what you're spending it on. I also taught my children how to invest in the stock market. I can tell you the younger one absolutely revolts against anything that we talk finance, but I taught them how to do that. And I like gave them an app and that's work. I don't want to say everything is seamless and it's great, but if they were to get a gift and it's monetary, then the same principle would apply. A part would go to charity and then a part would go to savings. And I feel like with birthday gifts, most of it is going to go to savings. It's not going to go to frivolous spending. And then investing is one of the things they have the app and they can start investing. And so I also taught my nephews about it. Now it's almost like a conversation among them. Hey, this stock is up or, Hey, I'm buying this stock. So we'll get them into that mode to like, Hey, I want to buy stocks. Like my older daughter kept saying to me recently, she was like, I don't have the password for my app anymore. I need to be able to buy stocks. The idea around getting any kind of money is you're going to charity, you're going to save, and then maybe you could have a piece to spend. That's very cool. Now you mentioned either some type of savings account or a green light account. Tell our listeners a little bit more about that. Yeah, I probably should have elaborated. So green light is a card that I just really love. There is a fee, it's $4.99 a month, but I felt it was worth it because by the time I gave my children a card to use, I felt like they, especially the younger one, they were not responsible enough, even though they know about budget to say, hey, I won't buy Starbucks every day, or I won't go to Zara and spend all my allowance on that. So I wanted to be able to control it to a certain degree. So I started out when they would get their allowance, I would actually allocate until they were able to do it themselves. And so Greenlight allows you to do that where you could say, you can only spend $10 for the week at Starbucks, and you can only spend $50 for the week at Zara. And so if they try to go over their limit, they have to get my permission in order to do it. They still have green light. I just told the younger one that I'm going to wean her off green light now because I think they're at that point where I don't need to allocate things for them, that they could think through what they want to spend on and how they want to spend. So I'm going to remove green light starting September when they go back to school. But for the past, I guess, seven years using green light has been phenomenal because it's really... 
really help them to think through their spending and to think through when they can buy certain things. So is Greenlight an app? It's a card. And then you have the app on your phone. So I have an app on my phone for that controls it, how I give them money. And I could see how they're spending the money. And so they have the app as well, but they could swipe their card. I gave them a credit card early because I wanted to start building credit for them as well. So they got a credit card on my name. So that also helped them to start building credit. That's amazing. As we segue from the young folk into the adult world, (laughs) I know a lot of people are generally concerned about their credit rating. And I know that you authored a book, Your Roadmap to 850, The Ultimate Six-Step Guide to a Perfect Credit Score. Let's talk a little bit about that and what most of your clients face with as it relates to credit and issues around that. So a lot of clients is late payment, collections. And then for some people, because they have such high debt, it affects their credit score because they don't understand the whole idea of credit utilization and whether or not they should keep a credit card open or if they should close it after they pay it off. So a lot of what I do with my clients is more education because I'm not someone that's going to say to somebody, if you have all these collections, we could take it off and your credit is going to be good because the reality is that it doesn't work like that. And a lot of times when people come with those gimmicks, it's very short term. So for me, I work with my client a lot around education. And so with that book in particular, I like to call it the offense because what I do is I provide people with things that they can do to offensively increase their credit score, especially if they have a lot of derogatory items, which is not naturally going to fall off immediately. And they may dispute it, but they may not get it off. But there are other things that they can do to start increasing the score. And so I work with people a lot on how can we increase your score, despite the fact that you have these derogatory items. And most of it comes to the education, understanding like the different components that make up your score and how you can work to increase the number within those components. So like on-time payment, how long you had your credit history and credit utilization, et cetera. I learned the hard way because when I used to have good credit, because I went through a period when I had really bad credit and that's how I had to learn a lot of different strategies. I had excellent credit and I bought my house. And after I bought my house, I was like, okay, I don't need my credit cards. So I, I literally paid my credit cards off. I didn't have a lot of debt at the time. I try not to maintain a lot of debt. I closed the cards and the only thing I had was the mortgage. And I remember going to apply for a credit card and getting declined. And I was like, how is that possible? I have no debt. And then that's when I got the rude awakening that, oh no, you have no credit history for them to base it off other than your mortgage. And so my credit score was actually pretty low. And that's when I learned, oh my God, like I actually need to have credit card. So I really get annoyed when I hear people say, cut up your credit card and don't use it because you need to have it. You just have to learn how to responsibly use it and make sure that you're doing it in the right way so you can keep your credit score. So if you're listening to my voice and you have credit cards and you're thinking you should cut it up, do not cut up your credit cards because your credit payment history is important and your credit utilization is important. And utilization just means how much credit you have available and how much of it have you used up. So all of that is really important. When you're at a certain point in your financial walk and you don't need to use a credit card very often, it's surprising when you actually do pull up your credit score and see that it's decent. However, when it's analyzed, the utilization is off because you're not using cards. Yeah. So, everything. so it's, just, it's like six and one and a half dozen the other. Uh-huh. I okay. do encourage people, I say, if you have a card, use it occasionally because that will also help your score as well. A couple points is a couple points. So let's talk a little bit about college savings. Now, of mm-hmm. course, with President Biden coming out with some relief for those who have student loans, which I'm sure all who can take advantage of it will. But moving into this other space of planning and preparation 
for college expenses. You have saved a great deal of money for your children's education. Can you share with our listeners what was the motivation behind how to go about doing it responsibly as you respect the needs that you have in everyday life? Yeah. So for me, because of the way I grew up, I wanted to provide a different life for my children. And so I didn't want them to have debt. And that was just something that I felt very strongly about. So I decided that this is actually before my children were born, believe it or not. When we started the investment, I said, okay, whatever I'm putting in this investment club, I'm going to earmark it for my children when I have children. And so I started that journey and I learned how to invest in the stock market. But again, sometimes people think you need to have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money then. I was putting $50 a month, which really is $600 a year. It's, it wasn't a ton of money. Now, when my children were born and you keep hearing about all this college cost, what I did is I said, okay, I would like my children to go to any college of they're choosing and never have to think about money. So what would I need to be able to do that? And so I decided that $250,000 per year per child is what I want. So I want to save 500,000 by the time they get to 18. And that goal never left my mind. So even though I was putting $50 a month as my income increased, or if I got a bonus or something, I would start trying to put more. But I think more important than the amount that I put was the strategies that I implemented because I didn't have a ton of money to put. I want to travel. I want to do all sorts of stuff with my children. And I did. I traveled with my children a lot. They've been to over 30 countries. What I did was I had learned to invest. And so I used that strategy wisely. I invested in companies long-term. I didn't take a lot of risk and I didn't do a lot of buying and selling. I just invested long-term. I held on to certain companies like Apple. I probably made about $170,000 in just Apple stock alone. Over time, last year, actually, probably last summer, their portfolio was about $630,000. So I surpassed my goal of reaching the five hundred. And I always kept that in mind every time I did my investment, every time I saved, I thought I got to get to 500,000 and I got to get to it by 2023, maybe later because my younger one has a couple more years, but that was what was in my head. And so I just planned towards that and it just remained consistent. Again, for listeners, it started with $50. It didn't start with a lot, but I think learning, getting the education to know how to invest is important because if you're putting it in a savings account, you're not going to get that kind of money. It really is going to come down to investing and using the right strategies in order to be able to do that. And they are expected to get scholarships, by the way. Right now I'm talking to my daughter and it's, okay, let's look at what scholarships are available because I believe in building generational wealth and I would like that money to be able to help them later on in life, not just now. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the types of college fund savings there are in terms of investments that you can make that may actually offset some taxes. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you may have utilized it or maybe not? So when I started out, I didn't do 529 plans because they can be used against you in some respects, even though you get the tax benefits and I think they're great and I do have them. But when I initially started, I was like, I'm not doing 529 plans. I really just had a regular brokerage account that I was using. I also used a Coverdell account and Coverdell account provides you with some tax benefits because you don't have to pay the taxes on the gain, et cetera, right away. And then the same thing with the 529 plan. And if for the 529 plan as well, if you pull the money out and use it for college expenses, you also do not have to pay taxes. So it's a great benefit. But depending on your income and how much assets that you have, sometimes it really comes down to it doesn't matter if you have a 529 plan or not. So 
when I started out saying, okay, I don't want a 529 plan because they're going to use it against me. Eventually I realized that it doesn't matter if I have a 529 plan or not, just the fact that I have all of these different assets, they're going to be looking at it anyway. So why not put money in and get the tax benefits? So then I started to do that and I get the tax benefits because the state of New York, you put up to $10,000 and you're going to get benefits on your tax return annually. And of course, when they pull the money out, they're not going to be taxed on it. So I would say utilize the different tax advantage plans if you can. And also, if you max that out, just use also the regular brokerage account as well. But to the extent that you can use those accounts, understand though, if you're going to be penalized or not, because if you don't have a lot of assets, you could potentially be penalized with the 529 plan. So that's why you also have to really sit and strategize around what you can use and what you cannot use. I also used whole life insurance as well, because when my children were born, I decided that was like a no brainer for me to get them insurance. And so it builds cash value and you can also use that cash value as well. So there are different techniques that people can use in order to put money away for college. Kudos to you to have the forethought with the investment club to Thank use your account to start to actually pre-fund college and get it really started for your children's education. I talk to people who have aspirations for their children to go to college. This is the one thing that I've never agreed upon and maybe you can open my eyes to it. They will actually invest in a college fund before they invest in their own retirement. Don't think that's a great idea because it is true that you don't want your children to have to pay for college. But one of the things that worries me about this generation is that a lot of people are in a panic because they will not have enough for retirement. And while it's important to invest for your children for college, your retirement is also, is to me, is more important because your children could go to college and get a great job and be able to pay off their student loan. When you get to retirement, if you cannot come up with the money that you need to have proper housing or be able to live your day-to-day life, that becomes a problem and it becomes stressful and you're older and you get sick. It's just too many variables. If I'm advising a client who is saying, I'm going to save for my children college and I'm not putting away for retirement, we're going to sit and do the math and figure out, okay, what are you going to have when you retire and how are you going to manage? And the hope is that your child will help you if you get to that age and you don't have enough, but you can't count on that. You feel like, again, I don't feel like you want to put that on your child. Okay, I've paid for college, so they need to help me. I think that you save for retirement. You see what you can do for college. And even as you save for retirement, once you get to that place, you may find money in your retirement that you could use to help your child if you need to. So it doesn't have to be like, I have to do this way. Because once you get to a certain age, and then if you have a Roth IRA, there's money you can actually pull out of your Roth. Again, it would be depending on how much you have based on your goals. But if you surpass your goals or you feel like you're going to be close to where your goals are or your lifestyle change maybe you move somewhere else and it's not going to cost you as much then you could always pull from that to help your child but it's just like when you get on an airplane and they say you got to put the oxygen mask on first that makes a lot of sense. like for me i've always maxed out my growing and i had set my goal for my retirement plan as well and so that always took primary focus even when i didn't take a lot of time off from my children like even put in 50 dollars, i always put even a minimum of 50 but if i couldn't put more than the 50 and never stopped maxing out my retirement plan because I knew what I wanted my retirement to look like. I want to have the option to retire much earlier. You've actually done a lot of what you set out to do. So you hit your goals for sure. I 
to talk a little bit about those who are thinking about starting a new chapter, thinking about going into business, or maybe they might already be in business. What kind of conversations do you have with those professionals or small business owners as it relates to how they can perhaps declare some specific financial goals and reach them? Yeah, that's a great question because for me, this is where I am in my life too, like leaving the corporate world and doing this financial coaching full time. And before I could have even gotten to that place and is going to have their different ideas of what that looks like. It's really going to come down to how comfortable you are with what you're doing. Because if you're someone who you're not making a lot of money and you feel like leaving the workforce and going full-time as an entrepreneur into a business that's very viable, you always want to make sure that you have at least three to six months. There is just, I don't care how much you make or how viable you think the business is, right? Unless you're getting kicked out of the job, you want to try to have something to hold on to so that as you're doing this business, you're not in this deep stress about, oh my God, where's the next dollar going to come from? But create a plan. Just like how if you're going into business and you need to go to a bank and you need to have a business plan for your own goals and what you're looking to do, coming out of working for someone and starting your business, you have to set some goals, set some timelines about what you want to achieve. Obviously, it's not written in stone. So if you say, I want to make $100,000 a month in the next six months, that doesn't always make sense. But what is your baseline? Can I survive on this? when I leave and for how long, and then start working towards that. I would say, don't just leave and say, okay, I'm just going to leave and I'm going to start doing this without having some kind of plan in place about how you're going to do it. And then as you put the plan in place, make sure that you have milestones and see how you're measuring yourself against your milestones as well. So you're saying three to six months of your living expenses? I'm very risk averse. So for me, it's more than six, but even six to 12, generally you hear like the emergency on three to six months. So that's why I use that number. But you definitely want to make sure that you have some kind of cushion and something else to fall back on. I know sometimes people will say, if you have stuff to fall back on, then you're preparing yourself to fail. But we live in a real world as well. And as much as some people go out there and they launch and they make money, there's also some that go out there and they launch and they stumble and they have to learn and they stumble again. If you launch and everything goes well, that's great. You have that money sitting there. So I would say, yeah, three to six months. But for me, who is ultra conservative, more than six months. For many, that would make a lot of sense. And what makes a lot of sense to me is having an understanding of what your budget needs to look like, your living budget, your real budget, how much is your mortgage or your rent and your car oh. and your insurance and having a knowledge of it. Yes, I didn't say that because sometimes things are just so automatic in my head. But yes, because you should have a budget, you should know how much each month expense is for absolutely sure. And then with starting a new business, there are generally added costs that you're going to build on when you're in startup phase. So you want to have a budget for that too. And look at what your total cost is going to be. You must have budget and know how much you're going to be spending. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's no joke. Entrepreneurism is no joke. I used to tell my students when I was coaching them. You can't cheat the grind. You can't cheat it. You just can't. You have to do the work. Hopefully those who 
are looking to make a transition from being a professional, working for someone else or working in the corporate environment into the entrepreneurial space as a small business owner or business owner, it's going to be day in, day out. Yes. Yes. And even when you think, because I work in the corporate world, I've helped large company restructure, look inside out in their systems and everything and help them to figure out what's wrong, what are the inefficiencies, what they need to do better. But starting out as a small business, it's a wake up call. Then you hit these different things and it becomes a learning curve. And certain things that you took for granted, suddenly when you're in the weeds, you realize, oh, wow, okay, reality check. So part of what I do in my coaching business tool, I tell all my clients when they come in, if you have a job, great. And if you don't want to leave your job now, that's also great. But if you're talking about wealth and looking beyond wealth, then within my program, I teach them how to set up their business as a CPN, as someone who's worked in a tax practice with my husband for like almost 20 years, probably more. Tax planning is very crucial. And a lot of people don't realize like when you're starting out, tax planning is so critical. The way you set up your business is so cool. Things that you put in place, I guess the engine to run your business is so critical. And so those are the things that I also talk to my clients about as they're looking to go into business, just making sure that they set up all those pieces correctly and that they have the tax planning strategies in place because that could save you hundreds of thousands of dollars over time. And also the bookkeeping piece, like how do you do that to make sure that you are really on the pulse of what's happening in your business? So at the end of the year, when you go to your tax person, you're not running all over the place or you have 15 million different receipts and things like that. So I also work with my client and provide them with a system to be able to make sure that they organize all of those things as well. I always say to people, taxes is just something that it's a part of life, but you don't need to pay more than you need to. So always plan so that you don't pay more than you need to keep more money in your pocket. Very good advice. Let's talk about financial freedom. I know a lot of people are after financial freedom and defining what that actually is. Do you find that there's many definitions for financial freedom? Yes, I think for everybody it's different. And so I I don't know that there's just one definition. There might be a dictionary definition. For me, I could speak personal. Like for me, financial freedom is where I feel that I'm well prepared so I don't have to worry about my day-to-day expenses for the rest of my life. And then I can work from anywhere, which is why I want to do my own business. And I can travel whenever I want. I could buy whatever I want, even if I choose not to buy it. And for me, it goes beyond that though, because if it's just for me, it's not enough. Financial freedom also means preparing this generation. So my children and my children's children so that they don't have to worry about money going forward. And so that's also education. It's not just handing them off inheritance and saying, oh, here, but leaving some kind of legacy so that it could learn how to manage what they're given. Because I know like even the Black community, I might get the statistics wrong, but they were saying financial freedom might be that they're able to go through retirement and not have to worry about money. It's so many different things to so many different people. And even with my clients, I have them define it for themselves. What does financial freedom look like to you? Next generation reminds me that there is something to the reality of helping the generation behind you understand not really the struggle, but the path that it will take for them to level up 
and continue to level up. So I wanted to ask you, with the successes that you've had, what kind of impact or influence has that had on your family? Great question. The other day, my children and I were in Guatemala and my daughter was like, mommy, you have just influenced the whole family because... (laughs) So even something as simple as traveling, for me, I just wanted to see the world. And for my family now, everybody wants to travel. So that's the recreational side. But the financial side, I would say like, just nieces and nephews or other family members. So we bought houses pretty young. We're some of the first homeowners. You saw them, they go out and buy houses. I teach about investing. So now even my nieces and nephews who are 19, 20, 21, they're investing now. They talk about not wanting to work till they're 60 because they want to build well. They'll come to my husband. He's like a family tax person. And they just talk about how they could make their money work so that they can do certain things. Then for my nieces and nephews who are young, Younger, I see them doing the travels, but more importantly, I see them saving. They'll text me, oh, the stock market is this, the stock market is that. So they're investing. That's not something that was normal for us growing up. And to see them being able to do this, one of them is in South Africa doing a one-year program. And if you talk to them, they'll talk a lot about how I've influenced them in just not necessarily the career they choose, but how they go about their career and how they go about choosing colleges and starting to invest now starting to think of buying homes or living abroad or doing all of these different things and certain things that they do because it's just become natural conversation within the family. That's exactly what I wanted to hear because you have made such great inroads and you've accomplished a hell of a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. Beautiful thing. Let's talk a little bit about what's next for you as you continue on in this chapter of your life and experience the things that are happening almost organically. What's next for you? What are you working on? And what would you like our listeners to know about you? Sure. Oh my God. I have big dreams. I feel like my dreams are just beginning to burst to light. But my goal really is to transform the lives of a minimum of 1 million women. In particular, I do work with women and men, but I want women to know that they can do anything. I want women to know that they can build wealth. And I don't want them to think that maybe because right now they have bad credit or they're in debt or they don't have any savings that they cannot do it because they can, because there are so many different things that they can do. And so right now I'm transitioning from corporate America into fully doing my own business because I was doing this as a side thing, but I've always known my calling to be to teach people personal finance and to teach people to build wealth. But I took a pause because I needed to spend time raising my children. And I knew that once I got to that point, I had goals to build my retirement by 45 to a million. I was able to do that at 48, build my children's retirement. And so now that I've done that, I feel like my time is to teach people how to be able to do that and to be able to do that by investing, by creating businesses. And so the program that I have created, it teaches people from beginning the foundation. You have bad credit debt and you don't have a budget. Let's start. And then you're going to learn how to invest. And while you're learning to invest, you're going to build your retirement, but we're not going to stop there. We're going to talk about if you so choose to build the business, how you can go about building that business so that you can 10X your wealth. And so my company is called Grow Your Wealth 10X. And that's the reason why, because a lot of times people will come into my program and they'll just have a job. But by the time they're in for a while, it's okay, maybe I should rent a part of my house. Maybe I should do Airbnb. These are real conversations I'm having with my clients. They can reach me at Grow 
growyourwealth10x.com. I have a lot of free things on my website as well as my program that can really help to transform someone's life into something that they never imagined it could be. I will put your contact information in the show notes. So again, really appreciate you giving us some of your time today. It's been a pleasure getting to know you from Jamaica. Don't be a stranger. We'll be reaching out to talk to you again in the near future. It was great talking to you. And ever you need to reach out to me again, please feel free to do so. 